Who is this SOB? Yeah, like who does he think he is? My thought exactly. Who is this SOB? Who is this SOB? This is Steve Noble, uber-conservative, Bible-thumping, Southern Baptist-syndicated talk radio show host, and I am that SOB. The one who has the nerve to take on some of the most popular podcasts in America when they are wrong, which is often, but much to the surprise of some of you, willing to admit when they are actually right. So, maybe I won't be quite the SOB you expect me to be. Only time will tell. On today's podcast, Michael Barbaro, the host of the New York Times' incredibly popular podcast, The Daily, has a very difficult discussion with Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry about George Floyd's murder, the police, racism, and the subsequent events that have taken place in Minneapolis and across the country. An incredibly complex topic that I'm more than willing to wade into. Hey, if you like what you hear today, or at least you're willing to give it another try, please subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit me at whoisthissob.com, where you can leave your unfiltered opinion about the podcast or me personally, and maybe even find out where you are going when you die. Okay, so let's dive right in. Who is this SOB meets the daily podcast with host Michael Barbaro and the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, as nationwide protests over the death of George Floyd enter a second week a conversation with the leader of the city where it all began, Mayor Jacob Fry of Minneapolis. Okay, this is a tough situation for Mayor Jacob Fry. And so I'm going to proceed here with caution because there's a lot of things that he says and certainly his heartfelt attitude about it all which to me, I'm not going to judge that. I'm just going to receive that. I'm going to accept that as he puts it out there. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be in this situation, especially given the fact that the mayor is an Afri- is not an African-American. He's a white guy, but a very liberal. He's Democrat. And so now he's got a situation on his hands that's now spilled outside of Minneapolis, outside of Minnesota, and has, uh, of, of course, uh, kind of engulfed the entire nation. So there's a back and forth here, and there's some points that I really resonate with and I really feel for, but there's some other points that I think in the situation we're dealing with, as we discuss racism, as we discuss systemic racism, as we talk about policing, over-policing, good cops, bad cops, white, black, all of that, we all need to, uh, and I'm going to bring the Bible in here, slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. So I'm trying to do that myself as I wade into this on this particular SOB podcast. So I'm just going to be listening and interacting here, but I hope you hear my heart in all of this and realize I'm, I'm trying not to come at this as a conservative. I'm trying not to come at this as just an American. I'm trying to come at this as a Christian with a soft heart who's trying to follow those three commands, slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. So let's dive right in with the first question, first interaction with Michael Barbaro and Mayor Jacob Fry. So just to start, Mayor Fry, I want to go back to the moment when you learned about the death of George Floyd. And I wonder if you could describe that moment from your perspective. And then tell me whether in that moment you could have imagined that it would lead us to where we are right now. When I first heard about the murder of George Floyd, I didn't know all of the facts. Uh, I received a call from our chief 
saying that there was an interaction with a black man and that black man had then been hospitalized. Mm -hmm. I didn't know yet whether he had died. I didn't know the nature of the interaction. And then subsequently, of course, we learned more information. I learned that the officer involved incident resulted in George Floyd dying. I then saw the video, which was horrid to see our white police officer press his knee into the neck of a black man who was unarmed and handcuffed for a period of eight minutes straight. There is nothing more disgusting that I have ever seen in my life. Okay, probably a trigger warning here because I'm going to I'm going to sidestep and, and a lot of people are going to say, oh, Steve, that's whataboutism. Why would you let, leave that topic? What happened with George Floyd? And then jump to another topic. But let me try to let me try to work through that here just so you can try to understand. For me, as a conservative evangelical Christian, born again, Bible thumper guy, uh, how, how this always comes up or it seems to come up a lot when you deal with this issue of racism and uh, where people are talking about Black Lives Matter and then the issue of abortion, okay? And a lot of people would rather just keep those as two separate conversations. And I understand that. And there's some merit there because by bringing in another one, you tend to dilute the original one, okay? So if you're talking about racism, we're talking about police brutality here, an overt murder, and I bring in abortion, it's like uh, it's like adding two things together so you're diluting them both, Okay where they both obviously stand on their own merits as issues that we should be dealing with and that we should be concerned about. So I'm just trying to, I'm doing this so that you can kind of understand, hopefully, why this happens. So I'm listening to this, uh, Mayor Jacob Fry explain his reaction, which I really appreciate. I mean, I, I think it's heartfelt. I think he's honest here. I think that he's responding in a way that I went into this going, I, I wonder if I'm going to like this guy. I've seen a little bit of press on him since the event took place, since the murder of George Floyd. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm jumping in like, unfortunately, most of us do go, oh, okay, he's uber liberal. Uh, so th I, I know what his, I know what his playbook is going to be. I, I know what I can expect to hear from him. And so it's the same thing. We judge each other all the time. We make assumptions about each other all the time. So we don't listen. We are back to those three things, right? Quick to listen as opposed to slow to listen. So we don't listen. But here's what happens. As soon as he says that, it's the most disgusting thing he's ever seen. Immediately, as a very strongly pro-life Christian, I immediately think of, well, you've never, apparently you've never really seen an abortion. And, and especially if you want to put it in context, the abortion of a black baby at whatever range, at whatever range, let's say it's 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks. Okay. You get into that and now we're into a very difficult circumstance because I'm sitting there going, okay, if you're going to be disgusted by what you saw, if that's the worst thing you've ever seen, then, then you haven't seen things that are clearly worse in terms of violence and injustice because it's horrific. And it was as horrific as the murder of George Floyd by that white cop. Uh, you'd look at that and go, okay, what about the murder of a black baby by a white doctor? Is, would that be worse? Is, is that somehow worse? Nah, I think you can make a pretty good case that it is. Uh, more innocence, less uh, able to uh, protect himself at all. Although, of course, George Floyd was in cuffs laying on the ground, right? But still, my, my, my immediate reaction is I'm looking for some moral consistency. 
And so if you're going to decry the murder of George Floyd, and you should, do you at the same time decry the murder of an unborn child? And by the way, the science is in on this, all right? This, you, you have to be a science denier if you're going to say the unborn child is not a human being, because it is, okay? That, don't be a science denier. You just have to deal with that fact. So I'm just, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I wonder where he's at on the abortion issue, because I want to know if he's morally consistent, if his outrage is consistent. And for him as a Democrat, we, you know, let's be honest, that there's a 99% chance that he's not consistent there. So I, that's what I struggle with. I think a lot of Christians struggle with that, conservative Christians, pro-life Christians. It's okay, show me that, that your moral outrage is consistent, but it should be the same for us. If we're outraged by abortion, black baby, white baby, Hispanic baby, whatever, if we're outraged by abortion, the mistreatment of a human being made in the image of God that has inestimable worth, we should also be outraged by the mistreatment of any other human being at any other state of their lives. And we need to do better at that. So just wanted to put that in there. Let's get back to the interview. And Michael Barbaro here is asking the mayor about uh, his reaction to then the protest and the violence that started shortly thereafter uh, by people there in Minneapolis, which has obviously spread nationwide. You know, I asked you whether you could have imagined this response. And here's why I'm asking that. When the protests broke out, the head of the Minneapolis NAACP, Leslie Redmond, said this. Quote, what you're witnessing in Minnesota is something that's been a long time coming. I can't tell you how many governors I've sat down with, how many mayors we've sat down with, and we've warned them that if you keep murdering black people, the city will burn. We have stopped the city from burning numerous times, and we are not responsible for it burning now. So is the head of the NAACP in your state right? I mean, were you warned? And was this inevitable? The head of the NAACP could not be more correct. This is not just about the eight minutes of time where our officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck. This is about the previous 400 years. This is about 100 years worth of intentional segregation and institutionalized racism. This is about repeated instances of officer mistreatment over decades. And the only reason it's coming out more often now is that it's recorded on video. Okay, there's obviously uh, a lot to unpack here. So I want to be careful again as I, as I work through this. One of the things that the head of the NAACP there in Minneapolis said, if you keep murdering black people, the city will burn, which is a, obviously a very strong statement, very inflammatory I'm not saying that to condemn it. I'm just saying that's a very strong statement, okay? Hey, this city's going to burn if you keep murdering black people. So one of the things that I think we all struggle with is we tend to just talk in generalities. We react emotionally. We don't stop and look at numbers. And even me mentioning that, especially since I'm a white conservative, uh, is going to trigger some people. Uh, I'm not saying that 400 years of our deeply broken racist history, horrific in many, many ways, uh, isn't relevant. Of course it is. Every single one of us is impacted by our past. Now, as a white person, I don't know how much the, the history of white people in America personally factors into how I live every day. And I think a lot of us are, are you know, that's a, that's a much longer discussion for a different day and a different podcast or a different series. 
I mean, let's face facts. We've been having these conversations for decades, if not centuries. So we're not going to unpack everything in every single conversation. And we need to remember that. I think the fact that we can have these conversations and that we dialogue back and forth is super important. And even though when we start throwing gross generalities at each other, uh, and speaking in hyperbolic language, we need to stay in the conversation, try to stay in the conversation so we can work through these things. This is incredibly difficult and we're not going to get it all solved. Jesus once said to his followers that the, the poor you will have with you always, which is sad, but true, right? We can't create a utopia. We don't have the ability as fallen, broken human beings. That's part of a Christian worldview. That's part of my hope as a Christian that one day Jesus will come back and he'll right every wrong and we actually will have heaven on earth where we're all treat each other with love and sincerity. We don't have to worry about crime rates or police or anything. As a Christian, I believe that day will come. So I hold on to that hope. In the meantime, I know that we're broken, messed up, screwed up people. And so sin is not going to be gone until he eradicates it in the end. So in the meantime, we're going to deal with all kinds of muck, right? We're just operating in, in a mess of our own making. And so I approach all this knowing that. That's how my Christian worldview kind of functions as we get into this. But when she talks about if you keep murdering black people, the city will burn, I sit there and go, okay, well, for me, I go look at numbers. Okay, how many black people have been murdered? And in this case, obviously, we're talking about by police. So you, this was in the Minnesota Star Tribune. Every police involved death in Minnesota since 2000. Guess how many there have been? This is 20 years in Minnesota, all of Minnesota, not just Minneapolis, but all of Minnesota, uh, police-involved death, shootings in 20 years. How many? The, the actual number is 195. Okay, so what percentage of them are black when you go look at that? <clears throat> it's 50, it's uh, 27%. 27% of the 195 police shootings, police-involved death have been uh, African-Americans, 27%. Now, the thing that you got to realize is only 5% of the Minnesota population these days is black. So 5% of the Minnesota population is black, but 27% of all the police-involved deaths in Minnesota since 2000 have been blacks. So obviously a disproportionate rate. And oftentimes we kind of just, we don't want to go there because then you're going to bring in uh, black crime statistics and what's going on uh, in terms of who's committing crimes. We'll talk about that a little bit as this podcast unfolds. But one of the other things to look at is just Minneapolis itself, police stops, okay? In last two years, 2018, 2019, police stops. 24% were white, 35% were black. Use of force in Minneapolis, 2018 to 2019, 24% were white, 60% black. Use of force, okay? In Minneapolis itself, it's 64% white and 20% black. So even though Minneapolis has only made up 20% of black people, uh, 60% of the use of force by the police is on black people. So you go, okay, what's going on there? And then you got to fold in crime statistics and where is crime happening? So where you have African-Americans as a percentage of the population committing uh, a disproportionate amount of violent crimes, then you would expect to see more uh, violent clashes between police and that portion of the population who's committing a disproportionate number of violent crimes, Right. So you sort of go, oh, and that's heartbreaking, and that's a whole other subject. Why do we have so much crime in the African-American community? What's going on there? Which brings in questions of systemic racism and our history. And also, I mean, I'll bring this up, who, who controls these cities? Who controls the inner cities? That's, you can't leave that off the table. 
My point being, this is a very complex conversation that has a lot of emotion, a lot of history, facts matter, statistics matter, but how do you arrive at these statistics? Why is there that disproportionate amount of crime? And for me as a Christian, my heart grieves over that. It goes, look, look at what's going on in the inner city communities, largely black, around our country. What the heck's happening here? And up, breakdown of the family is massive. And then government is a massive player. Racism, a player. There's so many different players here. And for me as a Christian, I just grieve over all of that going, look at what we've done to each other. Look at what we've done to ourselves. And then all officer-involved shootings back in Minneapolis, there's been 49 of them between 2008 and 2019. 49 officer-involved shootings. 62.5% of those were black, although blacks only make up 20% of the Minneapolis population. Okay? But Minneapolis has a long history of being a dangerous place. Did you know that it's only safer than 4% of other U.S. neighborhoods, Minneapolis? Only, it's only safer than 4%, meaning it's more dangerous than 96% of neighborhoods across America. So there's been all kinds of problems in, in Minneapolis for decades. And it's just, but we have to be willing to kind of get all this stuff on the table and work through it, which isn't going to be solved in one protest or even one series of protests. I think it's important to shine that light on here. And I absolutely support First Amendment rights to get out there and protest. I've done it myself. But, to, but that's why I keep go asking the next question. All right, what, what do we do next? We've got a spike in understanding. We've got a spike in attention. What do we do with that? What do we do next? Which involves all these various things that I'm talking about. And I'm just putting it all on the table saying all of these are relevant. And we have to be patient enough to work through them. And we can't hide from any of these things because there's all these truths here. And there's some lies and there's politics and there's propaganda, yes. But there's a lot of truths out there. And we need to be patient with one another. Here we go again, back to the Bible. Slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. That's going to be a theme throughout this podcast and throughout this situation as we deal with it here in America. Okay, let's go to the next part. But I guess what I'm getting at is, were you ever told by a black leader in Minneapolis that if circumstances did not change, there will be a crisis. There will be something like what we have just seen. I'm asking you if you were given a warning of that kind. I'm sure there have been numerous warnings over the past several years and decades, yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're asking, has anybody ever said that? The answer is they have said that. I have heard it. Does that make the burning of the city right? No, it doesn't. And this, of course, is a point, and I appreciate uh, Mayor Fry saying this because I agree with them. The point being, is it is it okay then? You're warned, if this doesn't get better, this violence against African-Americans, which are not huge numbers in, in Minnesota or Minneapolis, okay? I'm And again, I'm Mr. Pro-Life guy, all right? I am not undervaluing anybody in all of this. Any police-involved shooting and death that is unwarranted is a crime against humanity. Okay. Just like, well, just like abortion. Okay. Cause so just like how we've abused so many of our elderly with the COVID-19 situation where we didn't protect them very well. So listen, I'm against all of that as a Christian. Okay. As a human being, you should be as well, but as a Christian, particularly. So as, as he gets into this and you go, okay, 
there's warnings, there's there's signs out here. There's obviously there's a disparity, but we have to deal with uh, crime number statistics as well. And then when you look here in the history, uh, George Floyd is, is, is the one African-American that's been killed this year in Minnesota by the police. There were one, two, three, four, five last year, one the year before, one the year before in 2017, two in 2016, three in 2015, one in 2014, uh, three in 2013, one, two, three, four, five, six. That was a even worse year in 2012, one in 2011, three in 2010, three in 2009, two in 2008, one in 2007, one in 2006. Praise the Lord, none in 2005. There are actually no, no I, I don't know, I have to look. Uh, where there, because the most of the deaths in Minnesota, because it's a very white state, are white people, but then it's disproportionately in terms of the population, if 27% of the deaths are black, but only 5% of the population in Minnesota is black, that's a, dis- that's a disparity, okay? So you got to look at all that. You got to deal with all that. But again, in terms of actual killing of African-Americans, that statement from the NAACP, if you keep murdering black people, the city will burn. There have been black people killed. And now this this is just the raw numbers. We don't know which percentage of these we're unarmed. We can go find that. The unarmed numbers are a lot smaller, obviously, and thank God. But we have to deal with all those different things. But he did say there at the end that he doesn't agree with the rioting and the looting, and neither do I. And Martin Luther King talked about that. You don't solve injustice with another injustice, which is why he was the champion of peaceful protesting. And the rioting and the looting, which is being done by all different kinds of people, African-Americans, Antifa, white kids, there's all kinds of different people. You can, you can throw everybody under the bus on that deal. But I agree with him, and I appreciate him saying that. And he's getting hammered in his city, which we'll talk about some more before the podcast is over. Uh, because when you say it's not warranted, there's other people to say, yes, it is. What do you expect? What do you expect after all these years of abuse? Of course, we're going to burn stuff down. But you got to remember, in Minneapolis and in other cities, these are uh, small businesses and that are owned and operated, many of them, by African-Americans. So African-Americans being upset in their own community, then allowing for the destruction of their own neighbor's property and businesses, it's just heartbreaking. Again, this whole thing just makes me grieve. Let's just move on to the next part. And I think that's important for all of us. Are we grieving? We better be grieving over all this. Mr. Mayor, Tuesday's episode of, of our show, The Daily, was about the history of the Minneapolis Police Department and why it has been so difficult for mayors, for police chiefs to change the culture and reprimand officers who commit acts of misconduct. And specifically in your city, we focus on the power of the police union to set the terms. And even more specifically, the head of your police union who has resisted change and pretty successfully prevented a lot of it. Has that been your experience? Yes. The elephant in the room with regard to police reform is the police union. The elephant in the room with regard to making the changes necessary to combat the institutionalized racism and have a full-on culture shift is the police union, the contract associated with that union, and then the arbitration that ultimately is necessary. It sets up a system where we have difficulty both disciplining and terminating officers who have done wrong. Okay, now they're into a subject that I think is a huge issue here as we discuss 
uh, racial profiling and what's going on with police that step out of, of the bounds of what their job is, uh, police that are abusive, murderous people that should not have a job today. And part of that being obviously racially driven, though not all of it. So the police unions. Okay, so the, you have to look at this and go, okay, so which party has traditionally been, now I got to go political a little bit, which party has traditionally been involved and supportive of unions? Okay, that's the Democrat Party. Although the police unions uh, have given money to both sides, many of them tend to be like the like the, the head of the police union there in Minneapolis, who's a police officer himself, is a big Trump supporter. But you're going to find other police unions and other police uh, heads of police unions that are more democratic. So you got to you got to look at all that. So but the police unions have to deal with the city. And the city has to deal with the police union. So who's if we think the police unions have a problem and I think they do because they're protecting their own, especially in an incredibly combative environment. I can't imagine what an incredibly let's all just stop here for a second and and acknowledge what a nightmare it would be to be a police officer in most inner city segments or par- parts of the country where there's a lot of crime. And why do you think the divorce rate amongst the police officers police officers is north of 70%? Because there's going to be all kinds of crazy stuff in there and brokenness. Mental health is a whole nother issue with our police officers that I don't think we talk about enough. It's almost like you should have five years on and a year off. Get out of there. Because you got to go, how can you, how can you live with that every day and stay stable and healthy and in good shape, mentally, emotionally. What a nightmare. And nobody's really talking about that, and we need to. But back to this issue of the police unions, who's dealing with the police unions? Well, I'll tell you what, in Minneapolis, it's Democrats. All Democrats have, have, have controlled the mayoral position since 1974 with one independent who had a two-year stint in between 76 and 78. But other than that, all the mayors have been Democrats. The current city council, 13 members, 12 are Democrats, one's a member of the Green Party. All Democrats... And so they're, they've been dealing with these police unions unsuccessfully for decades. And by the way, as you look at the, the, the if you look at the 10 uh, most dangerous cities in America with populations over 200,000, cities like Detroit and Oakland and Memphis and St. Louis and Cleveland, Baltimore, Milwaukee, Birmingham, Newark, New Jersey, Kansas City uh, are always on the list. Every single one of them right now and for years has had a Democrat mayor. So Democrats can't sit there and say the Republicans are the problem. Because the Democrats are the problem too, and specifically in these cities. And they're faced with a nightmare situation, let's be honest here, in terms of economic opportunity and um, poverty and crime. It's just this perfect storm in these urban environments. But Democrats have been in charge who say, we've got your back, but they haven't done a good job at all of changing it. And that's another one of these things that has to be discussed. Where the Democrats are in charge, has it gotten any better? Where the Democrats are in charge, have they decreased the numbers, the offensiveness to the African-American population of what's going on in their cities? Mm, You look at the numbers, the answer you have to say is no. So there's got to be another answer other than, hey, the Democrats care the most. You can care all you want, but if you're not effective, what does all your caring matter? Especially when people die. It doesn't. So just trying to keep both sides honest here. Okay, in this next clip, they get into what can be done about the types of officers that you hire and fire. And uh, and this is about responsibility of the governance locally there in Minneapolis and in every other city. What can possibly be done about bad cops and hiring practices, which is a super important topic. Do you currently have the power to do that, to bring in new officers who 
do this job differently and get rid of cops who are problematic? We have the ability to bring in new officers who do the work differently. Uh, in fact, Chief Arredondo personally interviews every new cadet that comes in to make sure they have the right mentality that procedural justice is instilled from the very beginning and that they have a compassionate approach. We do not have the ability to get rid of many of these officers that we know have done wrong in the past due to issues with both the contract and the arbitration. Okay, a couple issues here, and this this just screams union to me. Labor union, teachers union, uh, even the same thing in Washington, D.C. with the bureaucracy there. People that have tenure as teachers, it's so hard to fire incompetent people when unions are involved because they protect their own. And whether it's the police union, the teachers union, or we're talking about the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., it's hard to fire people, which is ridiculous. You can't run any operation without the ability to effectively and quickly fire bad apples. So holy cow, that's got to change. But you got to trust the people in charge because you can't have, you know, if you give uh, unchecked power, which is our, our founding fathers understood this, the more power you have, the more abuse of power you're going to see. So you can't give people just unchecked powers to fire people willy-nilly. I don't like you. You're not my kind of person. You're fired. But they have to have the ability to fire people, and it can't be all that difficult. Yes, there's some checks and balances. So that's just ridiculous, okay? They have to get that fixed. And every city and the the labor unions are a huge problem, just like teachers. You can be an incompetent teacher and keep your job because you have tenure? That's ridiculous. Nobody should be operating that way. That's just, it doesn't work. The other thing that he says about the chief there, the new chief, uh, who's an African-American and uh, once sued the city, I think, for discrimination and won. Pretty amazing person uh, just on that level. But when you look at hiring police officers, their average salaries across the country, I'm looking at it right now. North Carolina, the average salary is 38950 The highest one is New York, and that's mostly cost of living adjustment at 53000 You go look in Minnesota, the police officer's salary, average salary is forty five grand. 45 grand if you have a family? How's that going to work? How's that going to work? A family, a nightmare job, 45 grand a year. And if you're if you're married and your wife doesn't work, stays home with the kids or whatever, still. What an incredibly difficult job and you risk your life for 45 grand a year. It's the same problem that we have with uh, a lot of teachers. Where a lot of teachers can be underpaid. Not all of them, and that's a different topic for a different day. But goodness gracious, to, to find good police officers. What's going on with the hiring standards? What's going on with the training? What's going on with the pay? In Minneapolis, they want to get rid of all of that, defund the whole thing, which we'll talk about before we're done today. But all these things need to be taken consideration. You need to be able to hire good cops. And how do you attract good people when the wage is low and the risk is high? And it's just a nightmare environment, especially if you live in a high crime city like Minneapolis. And then you got to be able to fire people easily. Okay, let's keep going. I love this clip because Michael Barbaro brings up something that you wouldn't expect most liberals to bring up. I think it may surprise listeners to hear that the mayor of a city, the executive of Minneapolis, can't get rid of a cop who has been credibly accused of misconduct. It may be a surprise, but it's oftentimes the truth. I mean, you're talking about the need for pretty profound structural change here. And you're the mayor, right? I mean, if electing Democratic leadership committed to progressive policies and to reform is not enough to affect structural change, 
then what else would you expect people to do but take to the streets to represent themselves in another way, right? Because the vote, the election of you, didn't do it. Wow, that is such a powerful question. And I really appreciate Michael Barbaro uh, being willing to go there. Michael Barbaro is a liberal himself, and he's talking to a very liberal mayor, Jacob Fry of Minneapolis. But that's a question that has to be asked. And I appreciate that he's willing to go there. Again, don't, none of us need to, should stop and just go, okay, Democrat, Republican. There's plenty of blame to go around, specifically in these major cities where these problems mostly exist. Sean King, who I just found out about recently for a lot of people that are woke or involved in Black Lives Matter or whatever, uh, is very well known. He's got a few million followers on Instagram and other places, but even Sean King the other day, and, and I've seen a lot of this stuff. I'm like, okay, I appreciate this. And some of the other things I'm like, yeah, that's too radical for me. But so he's, he's very strong African-American leader, very outspoken, very woke. So, but this is a, this is a post he had just recently. Stop generically telling us to vote in response to all the police brutality we have right now. Yes, we should vote, but we have to be very specific. Democrats from top to bottom are running the cities with the worst police brutality in America right now. We voted for them. And that's where he's saying voting is not enough. And that was Michael Barbaro's point with the mayor is what do you expect these people to do? Where they see they, they are concerned about police brutality. And yes, police uh, involve shootings and deaths. But when they hire you guys and they vote for you, African-Americans vote for Democrats, 93, 94% of, of African-Americans that vote, vote for Democrats. And they put them in the office year after year, decade after decade. And these cities that are worse that are worse, the worst in the country. And what do you expect? After a while, they're like, okay, <laughs> that's not working. Democrats say one thing, do another, or do nothing, or aren't effective at all. So again, let me bring it back around because you know I'm the Bible thumper. Ultimately, yes, I think politically, obviously, but ultimately, and in the foremost of my mind and my spirit, I think biblically. And I look at this as much more a human problem, a sin problem, a screwed up nature problem, human nature, than a Republican or a Democrat. The Republican or Democrat is just the outside covering of the inside problem. The inside problem is the unregenerate, screwed up, broken, evil intented human heart. Be it covered in black skin, white skin, brown skin, yellow skin, whatever. Whatever party it belongs to, however much money it has or doesn't have, there's the sin of the broken human condition. And you can talk politics all day long you want, and it's important. But you think that politics is actually going to solve this? It isn't. You want to see you want to see a place where you find uh, way more than in the regular society, a lot of racial diversity and unity and love and forgiveness and patience and kindness is in church communities that are actually following Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot of church communities that aren't doing that well and are screwed up. But there are many that are. And that's why I can have these difficult conversations with many of my black friends because we all have something deeper in common with one another, which is our faith and our love of the Lord, our love of God, and our love of his word, the scriptures, the Bible, and so we find our, our unity there, and then we apply that to all these other screwed up situations, 
And it allows us to work through these things with a whole lot more peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit from the Bible, okay, for a believer. But I'm sure glad that Michael Barbaro was willing to go there. Put it all on the table. And if you're not willing to put some things on the table, you're being intellectually dishonest and you're not helping, you're hurting. Okay, let's get to this next clip. And in this one, they get back to the conversation about protesting versus rioting and the violence. You've talked about the difference between the looters and the peaceful protesters. And I, and I want to talk for a moment about yes. who is actually in the streets of your city. This is a quote from you on Saturday when you spoke about the violence and, and some of these buildings that were burning. You said, we've seen long-term institutional businesses overridden. We've seen community institutions set on fire. And I want to be very, very clear. The people that are doing this are not Minneapolis residents. Is that still your understanding? I think that people who are doing the looting uh, in many cases were not from this state and not from this city. And sadly, as it turns out, others were. I mean, Governor Walls, he initially said something quite similar. And yeah. his language was, this is outsiders. This is not Minnesotans. And then later on, he went back and said, you know what? That may have been wishful thinking on my part. I hoped it was outsiders. Do you think you hoped it was outsiders too? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think we all, to use Governor Walls's quote, got a little bit out over our skis. Now, let me first say, I, th what a great question from Michael uh, Babaro. I mean, I, I appreciate his willingness to, to go there. Especially this is one liberal talking to another liberal, okay? So that's more like what journalism is supposed to be. You're willing to ask the tough questions, even when you know it's going to expose somebody that you have a political uh, preference for. So way to go, Michael. I really appreciate that. And then the mayor's answer, I appreciate that as well. I mean, he was honest. We got out over our, the tips of our skis, right? We got ahead of ourselves. And I can understand how that could happen. You look at all that and you want to say, hey, these aren't our people. We wouldn't do this to our, 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 own, uh, our own neighbors and our businesses and our own city, our own town, our own neighborhood. We wouldn't, certainly we're not like this. But again, I think part of that is, is uh, ignorance of human nature, whereas most people think, oh, people are basically good and, you know, they, we can screw up and do some bad things every once in a while, but people are basically good. For me as a Christian, I, I don't measure you versus me or me versus the worst person I can find. I measure myself and everybody else against God, against what he defines clearly in the Bible as right and wrong, good, moral, evil, all of that. And so I don't have a problem kind of applying that. I used to, but I don't as much anymore. I call balls and strikes based on the word of God, and it doesn't matter to me who's standing at the plate, whether it's Trump or Pelosi or whatever. In this case, nobody wants to believe their own people do that, but this is where we've really, I, I've seen a lot of intellectual dishonesty in this conversation since these riots have started with the protests and everything else, because you have peaceful protesters, you have rioters, you have people that are vandalizing, and you have looters. And guess what? You, most of the people that are kind of wildly breaking stuff, you see a lot of that's Antifa, the bricks, and that kind of stuff. Because all they want is to burn it all down, right? Black, white, they don't care. They want to burn it all down. They're anarchists, uh, domestic terrorists. Then you've got other people that are caught up in the frenzy. And when you look at the looting, do you have some white kids and white folks in there? Yep. Do you have some African-American folks in there? Yes, you do. Do you have some uh, local folks? Yes. 
probably mostly local folks doing the looting. And that's hard to swallow when it's your local folks. And when it hurts the narrative, when we're talking about racism and police brutality, and then you see a clip of a bunch of uh, African-Americans running out of the Nike store after having run in there, robbing, looting, and you go, oh, and then of course people with that are, that are struggling with their own racism see that and go, oh yeah, see, there you go, figures, all that kind of garbage. But again, intellectual dishonest, intellectual honesty requires all of us to go, okay, we do see a little bit of each group in there and that shouldn't be a shock to you. It's definitely not a shock to me because all those different groups are made up of human beings and all those human beings have a broken condition, a, a Puritan, uh, old, uh, really stuffy Christian from the probably the 1700s, maybe the 1600s once said that the seed of every sin exists in every human heart, meaning we're all capable of doing really horrible things. If, the first, if you think that you're not, you're not being honest with yourself. Now, I think most of us aren't going to go out and be mass murderers, okay? So I'm not going to the extreme there, but we can all be pretty bad people. So it shouldn't surprise a mayor, a governor, or any of us on the right or the left to see our own people acting like idiots or acting dangerous or being criminals, looting and so on and so forth. So I, I really appreciated that segment uh, from Michael Barbaro and Mayor Jacob Fry. Okay, last two clips from the Daily Podcast from the New York Times, and then we'll finish up. In this next one, Michael Barbaro asks uh, the mayor, Jacob Fry, a very difficult question about responsibility for what's happened outside of Minneapolis. And I think it's kind of an unfair question, but uh, it does bring up some interesting points. So here we go. Mayor, I'm, I'm curious about something. And up front, I want to acknowledge that it may not be, in your mind, the fairest question. A police killing the death of George Floyd in your city by your employees has, by this point, led to protests across the United States. These extraordinary expressions of anguish and sadness and, and violence. I mean, stores and businesses have been broken into and ransacked from Minneapolis to Los Angeles to New York. I mean, there's quite literally a fire raging across the country, and your city was the original spark. Do you feel any responsibility for that? Every single second of every single day. I feel that responsibility as mayor of the city where this occurred. I mean... But to say this has been one of the worst weeks in our city's history would be a massive understatement. And to say that this has been the worst week of my life would be accurate. Now, I really appreciate what the mayor is sharing here and how he's feeling. And obviously the worst incident in his city's history, the worst uh, thing that's happened to him in his life. And my heart goes out to him. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in his position, especially once I play for you uh, a clip before we finish that really was, I mean, scary in many ways and uh, probably shocking for him with his own folks there in Minneapolis. But I, w I would just say, Mr. Mayor, you're not responsible for what's happened around the rest of the country. You're not responsible for the manifestation of racist attitudes and racist actions and for people taking uh, this situation with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, and then taking action on it. And action, the protests that, yes, were infiltrated in many ways by Antifa and people like that and turned violent, which just unleashed more of this broken human spirit I keep talking about. You're not responsible for that, sir. 
we're, and this is something that we don't like to bring into these conversations when we're talking about racism or crime and where crime is happening and who's doing it is the issue of personal responsibility. And I know there's people out there that say, hey, you, you can't do that with somebody that's suffered under racism their whole lives and where we have 400 years of racist history and all of that. Yes, you can. You have to. You have to include personal responsibility. Otherwise, you're going to get nowhere because everybody's always going to have an excuse for their behavior when it's abhorrent or dangerous or whatever. They can just say, oh, I didn't have a choice. Look at what the last 400 years. No, this is where some of the, this is a big linchpin here that has to stop. People, your past does not have to determine your future. The past of your people does not have to determine your future. And yes, other people have to be involved in making this better, obviously. But you have a choice of what to do with your life. We can never remove that from these conversations. We all have to make individual decisions to try to make this a better environment for all of us. In this case, for Afri our African-American friends, neighbors, countrymen. You can never remove personal responsibility in these types of situations. So, Mayor, give yourself a break. You didn't cause this around the rest of the country. There's a whole lot more going on here than just you. But I certainly appreciate his sentiment. Okay, and this last one, they're uh, kind of getting to where do we go from here, right? Which nobody's got enough time in a podcast to unpack all of that. But let's just listen to that. I'll have a quick response. And then we'll play something that happened the other day in Minneapolis where the mayor went to a big protest and they essentially threw him out. Because that's another topic for another day, but it is something that's growing nationwide. It's very scary, and we need to be dealing with it. So let's go listen to kind of where do we go from here, and then we'll pick it up and finish up. If there's a moral ending to what's happened, it can only end in one way, which is first, justice for George Floyd in the form of a full charge and then conviction. But moreover, it needs to end in true change to how police departments across the country function, to how we're able to make decisions, issue discipline and terminations, as to how we can create these police departments that truly protect and serve community. Okay, and to much of that, I say amen. Absolutely justice for George Floyd. Uh, the main cop and the three other cops have been charged it's going to be difficult to go through this process because the bars are high in terms of convicting police officers, but hopefully that's not going to be a problem here, but I'm going to be praying for that, for justice to be done and for it to be done accurately and fully, because we definitely don't need to put that accelerant on the fire if they screw up that, that, that trial. So hopefully we'll see that. And if you're a praying person, you need to be praying for that as I do. But on the other side, when it comes to policing, I, I, I that's great too. I'm, I'm with you. Wherever there's a problem, we need to deal with it. And the unions and all that mess. But let's remember, and, and this is something I've asked this question for a lot of different people, what percentage of the police officers in the country right now do you think need to be out of a job right now? What percentage of them are horrible people? I've heard as low as 2%, and I've heard as high as 25%. And I've asked whites and blacks. So let's go with, uh, I don't know, let's go with 10 or 15%. That means there's 80, 85 percent that are doing a good job that we can trust 
that are distributing justice fairly and are looking out for their communities aren't involved with their communities. But there's 750,000 sworn in police officers around the country. So even if only 2% of them, which I think is low, if only 2% of them are actually bad and shouldn't be there, either because they're horrible people, they're racist, or just mentally and emotionally they're broken because of the nightmare job, that's that 2%, that would be, because there's 750,000 sworn in police officers nationwide, that would be 15,000 police officers who should not have a gun and a badge today. And that's a big deal. If it's 10%, that's 75,000. And I think most people would say, yeah, I mean, I think most people I know, white people would, Christians especially, would be comfortable with that, you know, could be 10%, 15%. It was a very strong, very conservative Christian friend of ours, my wife and I, that said, I think it might be 25%. I was like, whoa, holy cow. God help us if that's the deal. And I know some of you, you might be sitting there going, yeah, that's it. That's probably low. Well, the numbers don't bear that out. Okay. They just don't. But anyway, yes, we need to deal with the policing and the police unions and all that. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like saying all, all blacks are criminals. No, they aren't. That's a ridiculous, hateful, ridiculous statement. All cops are bad cops. No, they aren't. All Muslims are terrorists. No, they aren't. So you got to be, we all need to be careful with that generalized language, which is kind of racial when you're assuming all kinds of things about an entire population of people. You can't do that. But what the mayor ran into in this last clip I'm going to play is he showed up at a big protest in Minneapolis just the other day. And now the question on the table is, should we have police departments at all? And this crowd put him right on the spot. And I'm sure he thought, I'm walking in. I'm Hey, I'm with you. I'm protesting. I believe we need to change the system. Racism is a problem. I'm with you on all this stuff. But when it came to the question of defunding the police, eliminating the police, and coming up with some other alternative, community watchdog, I don't know, whatever. But all of a sudden, this whole thing went south on him, and, went in, and it went south in a big way. So this was at a protest just the other day where the mayor, who thinks he's amongst his people because they're almost all Democrats, and he's down for the struggle when it comes to the protests and racism and policing the police and getting rid of bad cops. But when it comes to getting rid of the police 100%, that was a bridge too far for Jacob Fry. And I give him a lot of props for being willing in this big crowd that was very aggressive to disagree with them, but listen closely to see what happens here. Because the people he thought he was with all of a sudden were definitely not with him. Now, a little warning here, if you have sensitive ears, the crowd's going to start chanting some things and saying some things with some F-bombs that, uh, well, I'm just, I'm just giving you a warning, okay? So here we go. Check it out. Jacob Fry, we have a yes or no question for you. Yes or no, will you commit to defunding Minneapolis Police Department? What did I say? We don't want no more police. No Is more. that clear? We don't want people with guns toting around in our community, shooting us down. You have an answer? It's a yes or a no. It's a yes or a no. Will you defund the Minneapolis Police Department? All right, be quiet, y'all. Be quiet, because it's, it's, it's important that we actually hear this. It's important that we hear this, because if y'all don't know, he's up for re-election next year. Guess what the fuck we gonna do next year? 
I'm sure that was remarkably difficult for Mayor Jacob Fry to experience that he was out there. I'm with you. I'm with you. But then they ask him that question. Are you willing to get rid of the police? Yes or no? Like get rid of the police. No police. What they want to replace it with, I have no idea. But get rid of the police, period. That's our position. And now all of a sudden you have a Democrat mayor facing a probably who knows? Nine, based on the statistics, 94% Democrat crowd, at least. And he's thinking he's safe. But on that question, he's he can't go there with them. And he goes, no, I'm not for the abolition of the police department. And that, get the F out of here. Get the F out of here. And then go, you know, Jacob, go home. Get out. Shame, shame, shame. And that, so we're going to replace a broken system with anarchy? Now, I'm, I'm trying to be patient, and, and I've put this out on social media. I'm like, you know what? In Minneapolis, uh, because they already had, this came out just the other day. They already have the votes on the city council. They voted just the other day for the abolition of the police department. And then what they're going to replace it with, we'll see. But that's very dangerous, to say the least. Because like I said before, and I'll say it again, I understand human depravity. I understand human nature. And to think that the absence of police is all of a sudden going to bring peace and security and calm into your neighborhood, I think is remarkably ignorant. Is it altruistic? Yes. Do you think, but you really think, be honest with yourself, do you really think we can have a utopia right now here on earth or any time in the near future or any time at all for that matter? So, Wow. This has gone to a whole nother level, and this is picking up steam in many places around the country, defunding, pulling back funding, and outright eliminating the police. And that's where this crowd was then. And I don't say this facetiously, and I'm not saying it to be obnoxious. I'm saying, okay, Minneapolis, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and try it. Try to figure out a way. Newark, New Jersey, there's some place in New Jersey that, that kind of changed their, they restructured their police department, did a lot more community policing, uh, a lot more training and kind of restrictions on the use of force. And uh, for some people, they're uncomfortable with it because they actually increased how many officers were out there, but they did it more on a neighborhood beat by beat kind of basis. And so it's much more in your face, but not violent. So they kind of came up with a different system. We'll see what Minneapolis does. They have the votes to do it. And the mayor obviously can't stop it, even though he's against it. And I say, let, let them do it. Who knows? Maybe there's a small chance that they'll actually figure out something that will work well for their community. And if they can, God bless you. I'm all for it. That's part of the constitutional structure of this country. Small federal government, expansive state and local governments, much more independence out there. If you can figure it out, you know, best wishes. God bless you. I hope you do. But odds are that's not going to go well. I'm not denying that we don't have a problem with some percentage of our police force and police unions and all that. But we also have a problem with Democrats giving lip service 
and running all these cities where all these problems are and not being able to effectively deal with the unions, it's a big mess. It's a big mess. So I'm going to come back to it. Like I said earlier, right out of the Bible, we should all be slow to anger, slow to speak and quick to listen. And so we need to be willing to do that, to have the conversation, to listen to the other side, to challenge our own assertions, to admit, can you say, can I say, you know what? I, I might be wrong in all of this because there, there's definitely an opportunity for me to be wrong about a lot of things on this issue. But are we willing to talk to each other, listen to one another, not violate each other, not destroy our own cities and towns and our own businesses? There's obviously problems. But for me as a Christian, I know that they're ultimately problems at the human heart. And no government, no Democrat, no Republican can solve that problem. Only the creator of the human heart in the first place can solve that problem. And that's God. And I don't know whether you have a relationship with him or not. I don't know whether you call yourself a Christian or not. But I hope as you listen to this podcast that you maybe hear a little bit different take from somebody that's a very serious, committed follower of Jesus Christ. But somebody that still screws up. I still have sin in my life. I still do bad things. I probably do less bad things than I used to. But I still do screwed up stuff. I'm still not a great person oftentimes. But I know the one who is. And I'm working on it. And he's working on me. And I've seen the changes in my own life on this issue of racism specifically in my interactions with people that don't look like me or think like me because I begin to value them more. Not less, but more because I know who made them and I know how much you're worth and I know how much I'm worth because I know that the God of the universe was willing to die for both of us. If you have any questions about that, by the way, that's a faith issue. That's what, what, if, what if your George Floyd moment comes and you die tomorrow for whatever reason? Do you know where you're going when you die? That's the ultimate question that I think most of us ask. And there is an answer. The Bible has a very good answer. It makes perfect sense. It's understandable. It's not hateful. I believe it to be the truth. And a few billion other people believe it to be the truth as well. But I don't know what you believe. So if you want to check that out, just go to the website, whoisthissob.com. Of course, you can check out the podcast and the podcast that we already have out there. This is episode five of the of the new of the new podcast. I do have a radio show, the Steve Noble Show, uh, which I do Monday through Friday, uh, four to five p.m. Eastern time. But you can go to the website, whoisthissob.com. You can put your comments in there about the podcast. I hope we can have that dialogue. Also on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, we can engage there as well. But I hope you'll check it out. I hope you'll subscribe. Tell your friends about it. I hope to be a helpful part of this conversation. And I hope that we can go down this road together. God help us all, because we certainly do need it here in the United States of America. Whether we're talking about the police or governance, or certainly in this case, racism, uh, I don't think we can do this without God's help and without God's truth and without God's love. So there you go. Thanks for your time. Thanks for being here. This is Steve Noble of the Who Is This SOB podcast. And I hope to talk to you again real soon.